everybody, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions in film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and I am very much looking forward to today's episode because today we will be talking about The Crown Season 3, Episode 2, an episode all about Princess Margaret entitled Margaretology, and these episodes of The Crown that focus on Margaret are always very fun And today was no different. Joining me, as always, to talk about this episode of The Crown are my two great co-hosts. First, a man looking forward to his invite to a weekend shooting at Balmoral. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, if you had the choice, what would you prefer, the weekend shooting or a state dinner at the White House? Oh, oh, uh, good question. Well, wait, who's president at the time? Uh, Lyndon Johnson. (laughs) Ooh, yeah. Let's go to Balmoral. (laughs) Uh, fair enough. Uh, also back with us today, a woman who has written a solid limerick or two of her own in her day. It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, do you have a good limerick that you can share with us? No, they're, um, they're not age appropriate for our audience. (laughs) (laughs) Who is the audience? I don't know. It's just not appropriate for the audience. It's not appropriate for our British audience. They will not be able, they won't be able to handle it. Um, as always, uh, we want to kick things off by saying that, you know, we're not historians. So if you came here to try and find out if the events that occurred in this episode are historically accurate, you've come to the wrong place because we're just, you know, we're here to learn and we're assuming that everything that we saw in the episode is actually what happened. And that's really that. So, you know, you can do your research on your own time. Uh, (laughs) I think by the end of season six, we will be historians. I mean, that's the hope. That's the goal. Um, So uh, to get things kicked off, Carlin, give us a quick recap of Margaretology. Okay, well, we start off with a little frame narrative. Love when that happens. I believe it's 1943. And Margaret and Elizabeth are kids. Elizabeth's getting sort of the rundown on like, you're going to have a bunch of duties. We're going to like make you like, we're, we pretty, we're pretty sure you're going to be the heir. So like, we're going to start talking about it. And Margaret is like, why are you the one doing this? Like, I'm the one who wants to do this. You don't like, I'm going to ask um, Tommy Lassels if I can be the queen. And then we leave that frame narrative to the present day in which the British government is in debt and they need to do something about that because otherwise things could go real downhill real fast. But meanwhile, Margaret and Tony are going on their, I guess it's a private vacation, but Elizabeth asked if they can do some public engagements, you know, get a little, rouse some crowds, do all that fun royal stuff they do when they go to America. She's like, sure, we'll do it. They even do like a gesture, a flying commercial. I don't really know why they did that, but you know, it it was nice. I don't know, maybe because England's in debt. So no more private planes. And so basically she is welcomed like, really well in America. Her charm and her personality just play really well with the American audience to the point where she gets a fandom called the Margaretologists, which honestly is a really good name. We need to try harder with our fandoms nowadays. And meanwhile, Elizabeth is dealing with trying to get this money for a bailout from the Americans, but she has to deal with Lyndon B. Johnson, who is the president after Kennedy. And he... (laughs) is not super like pro England. She, you know, reaches out a couple times and he keeps, or no, the government reaches out a couple times. He totally brushes them off. 
to the point where then Liz has to reach out and be like, hey, Lyndon B. Johnson, do you want to come to Balmoral to shoot? And he ghosts them. He just like straight up, it's like, I'm not, you know, let's let's send a statement, not say anything. Meanwhile, Tony, Margaret, they're going to all these parties. Margaret's being her bombastic self. And Tony is kind of like feeling second fiddle because this was actually, not only was it their personal vacation and a, you know, crown thing, but it was also his book tour so, like, I relate to him. I would not want my book tour overshadowed by this sort of stuff. So he, they start having fights because of that. But this all merges together when, oh, my God, I don't know the plot. Someone somehow gets Margaret to go to, I think Margaret gets invited to go on behalf of Liz to a White House state dinner. That's, like, Lyndon B. Johnson's version of, like, I won't go to Balmoral, but, like, you're welcome to come here. Come on to my turf, guys. And so Liz is like, Margaret, will you not go to this book launch to, uh, you know, go to the state dinner? And Margaret's like, no, <laughs> I'm supporting Tony. And so then Liz brings out the big guns and she writes her a letter being like, as your queen, I command that you go. And so she goes and then much to everyone's surprise back in England, she um, knocks it out of the park to the point where she gets the bailout from Lyndon B. Johnson by being herself which in this case is like very charming, a little bit raunchy and like having a good time. She like knew what to do with Lyndon B. Johnson. And so going off of this high of this win, Margaret asked Elizabeth when she's back in England, like, hey, can I have more duties? Like, clearly I'm good at this. Clearly I can help. And so Liz is kind of thinking about it, but then she goes to Philip and Philip's like, hell no, you better not do that. Because history says that we have, I think Tommy Lassell's had this idea. So once again, anti-Margaret till the end. He's like, there's two heads to every monarch. There has to be a boring one and then a really interesting, like, side. I don't want to say side piece. No, it's like a companion. And that's what Margaret is. She is not meant to be the monarch. And so then Elizabeth kind of has to, once again, let Margaret down and be like, no, we're not going to give you anything more. And then we go back to our frame narrative in which, once again, Tommy Lassels is like, no, you are not going to be queen to Margaret. Like, just reams her out for even considering the idea. And then Margaret is sad. Thanks, Carlin. Yeah, I mean, I I mentioned, I think, in the last episode that I was really looking forward to this version of the Queen, played by Olivia Coleman, and this version of Margaret, played by Helena Bonham Carter, getting into one of those classic Elizabeth-Margaret arguments that we've become so accustomed to in uh, prior seasons of The Crown. And we haven't gotten there yet, but I feel like we can feel it building. We can feel it getting there. We just haven't, we're not there yet. I guess, you know, it's only episode two, so they're they're working their way up to it. But I'm very excited for it. Oh, yeah. All right, so I guess let's start with the frame narrative. The return of Tommy Lassels, the OG Tommy Lassels. Very excited to see Tommy Lassels back on my screen. <laughs> Are I, you? I, yeah. I was. <laughs> I, I was excited, too. I thought he was going to show up in, like, old Tommy Lassels, but, like, he didn't. Mm-hmm. But like Tommy Lassell's ghost lives on forever (laughs) and including on our screens where he gets to show up for the frame narrative. And just again, he really hates Mark. I don't know. It's really about Margaret. He just like has to ruin her day constantly. (laughs) Let me me ask you something about that flashback, though. Has there ever in the history of television production been 
less effort put into de-aging an actor. Like <laughs> that flashback was supposed to take place, what, 20, 25 years ago? He looks older than the last time we saw him. Hey, look, there. what other movie did that? Oh, yeah, I was watching all the Hannibal movies. And like there's one movie where Tony, um, Tony Hopkins plays like Hannibal again, but it's supposed to be set 20 years in the past, but it's like him aged and you're just like, ah, oh, cinema. <laughs> so oh. yeah, that's, that's what it felt like. Do, do, do you two know the name of the actor who plays Tommy Lassels, by the way? Uh, like, I went two whole seasons without learning it, and I and I just picked it up. No. I, so I don't know his name, but I did the same thing that you did, and I looked him up on IMDb, and his picture in IMDb is without his mustache. And I honestly oh, don't uh. think... I don't think I would recognize him if he wasn't in his Tommy Lassels, like, <laughs> makeup. Uh. So, right. And, and, and in fact, like, uh, I, I kind of did something similar. I recently looked him up. And you know where, like, most of us have seen him recently without realizing it? Where? Have you heard of a little HBO series called Succession? Wait, who is oh on God. Succession? Uh, take a guess. Take a guess. Um, I don't the remember the name of all the executives who, like, aren't part of the Roy family. <laughs> No, I he, feel like he might he's still not be an British. Executive. He's probably the new stepfather. Is he the new stepfather? Yes. <gasps> oh my god. Oh my god. The Wait, guy you're that right. their mother was marrying in the finale. Oh, oh my god. That's Tommy Lassels. No way. Now I feel like I need to go back. I, I mean, everyone that did not register. That didn't register to me at all. Wow. Peter. 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 Oh my god. Peter's such a. <laughs> Oh, I didn't really register yeah. Peter as either a positive or negative character, so I was be like, "Yeah, this actor's doing great." But what a what a chameleon, right? Like, I yeah. mean, completely different voice, completely different mannerisms. Like, that is this is wow. the opposite of a character actor. Like, you, yeah, I mean, yeah, incredible. I mean, that yeah, is hashtag wow. acting. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Thank you for that, Ivan. Um, but yeah, I was excited to see Tommy back on the screen. Imagine retiring quote-unquote, in season one. But your legacy just continues every season since. I feel like he's, yeah, he's there more than Winston. Like, this man is oh, never sure. going to leave the show. Well, he, he <laughs> Winston now, like, share kind of the, I guess, like, dual distinction of, you know, actors from season one slash two that have crossed over into the new era of the show. Yeah, I guess in flashback, Winston got to just be here. Yeah, so I was very excited about that. Um, but wait, 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 hold on. Yeah. You, you never answered my original question. Do you know the actor's name? No. No. Oh, no. I mean, the answer is no. <laughs> what is his name? It's Pip Torrens. Wow. What's Pip short for? Uh, Christ it, I no. mean, we'd have to look it up. Because, like, Kit is short for Christopher. What is Pip short for in Great Expectations? <laughs> I don't know. It could also be his stage name. Uh, yeah, I, I guess, but... I mean, Pip, Pip doesn't sound biblical enough for for an English name. I'm just going to keep saying it's Christopher. I don't know. Sorry, I keep interrupting you, Sam. No, no worries. I mean, I was just going to go back to the Margaret and Elizabeth of it all, because I feel like that's really kind of at the crux of this episode, especially if you take it from the Liz point of view. And I think one thing that Olivia Coleman does, probably even better than Claire Foy did, was just like, when Margaret does something that makes her clearly jealous, 
you can just see it on her face yeah, so much. Yeah, I, I really like that. I feel like they're sort of <laughs> delving more into, like, Liz's, like, torture. Like, whatever, like, whatever psychological things have happened to her that, like, results in her being the way she is. Like, I felt like that line was drawn very obviously, but kind of in a way that was enjoyable because you get to see the way, like, Olivia Coleman like, starts micro-acting with her face, and you're like, ah, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, it's like we, in her face, you can see like multiple stages of processing. There's like a kind of like, there's denial, anger, bargaining. <laughs> like you can see them all go through her face. How, how, do you, how do you think that compares with Claire Foy though? Because I, I feel like in, in moments like this, Claire Foy had kind of more of a poker face. Yeah, she yeah. was more reserved for sure. Yeah, which I guess is like an acting in and of itself. But like there's definitely like cracks. I guess there's more cracks with um, Olivia Coleman sort of acting i mean olivia i feel like that's like an olivia coleman thing right is just like it's like slow things leading up to just like an angry outburst (laughs) yeah if liz has an angry outburst it's it's, it's, it's a volcano bubbling up exactly yeah 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 so we got the tease last week that margaret and uh tony were going to be going to the united states at some point and i don't think that i personally anticipated it being so soon um, I thought that it was going to be something that happened later in the season, but it's happening right away. And um, it's for Tony's book launch. Carlin, <laughs> <laughs> when can we anticipate you being sent to the UK for your book launch? <laughs> uh, TBD. Um, I, I sincerely hope that'll happen. Uh, that'd be fun. And he didn't even have to write any words. It no, was a book didn't. of photographs. Nope, just just them photos. I wish you could see more of his photos. They're like, nah, just pretend. You didn't even know what they look like. And the shade from Elizabeth when she learns that there's no words in his book. (laughs) As if she can read. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. They really have the full tour, I guess, of uh, the United States. They're going to start in San Francisco and then go to L.A., then go... So they're going to Arizona. Who are the Douglases? Uh, probably just some rich people. Do we know who the Douglases are? Yeah, probably just I assume some family friends. The Douglases who live in Arizona in like an Alan, like an, uh, Alan Ruck kind of succession Arizona <laughs> oh, home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's the same house. Sure enough, yeah. And then they're going to go finally to New York for the book launch. So they have a full tour. It seems like it's going to be like two weeks at least. I feel like you should stay two weeks if you're going to go across the pond. But, yeah. No, did you guys see Elizabeth's face when they said Arizona? I couldn't tell if she didn't know what Arizona was or she just, like, doesn't like Arizona. Oh, my God. It's like when they mentioned Baltimore to the Queen Mother. She's like, what? (laughs) What is this Baltimore? Speaking of, uh, never mind. I'll get to that later. Okay. By the way, if we never talk about the plane, I need to talk about the plane. Yes, let's please talk about the plane. I think we need to acknowledge that as much as this probably seemed like a downgrade for Margaret, it's actually an upgrade because on average, private planes crash like at 200 times the rate of commercial airliners. (laughs) So What? Yeah, it's like like a really high. This is where you're going with this? It's a really high number. So them having first class cleared out had the perks of having a private airliner, but then not with the crash rate. So I actually think they should adopt that more. I also think the succession people should too. That that's where your mind went during that scene? Yes. So my my question about this commercial plane was they load everybody onto the commercial plane, but I guess I just don't know enough about this period of time. It's what, like nineteen sixty three? No, sixty four. Isn't it like sixty five? I don't know. I don't know. I don't 
when, four or five, mid, mid 60s. Yeah. They still get loaded on the tarmac? Like, what happened here? Did they load all the regular people first and then drive out onto the tarmac? I think so. <laughs> so that Margaret could walk <laughs> yeah, onto the plane? That's what it seemed like. Like, do they not just go in through the. Through the terminal? <laughs> Why would they let Margaret into a terminal? Yeah, I don't think they um want her to have to see an airport. Otherwise, they would load her first, and then everybody would have to walk past her and just look right. at her. Right, I was going to say, well, isn't there typically usually a door? first class sports first. I, isn't there usually a door between economy and first where like they could just be like, nope, go right, don't even look that way. <laughs> don't even <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, know. it's also possible like the plane could have had a rear entrance. I've seen some planes have that. I don't know. I'm grasping at straws here. So you think the general public also got loaded on? They had to walk on the tarmac to get onto the plane. I've had to walk on the tarmac. Have you guys not had to walk on the tarmac for like a small plane? I, I no, I, I've I've had to do it. Yeah, I oh. think that was also like a thing back then. I don't. But Liz goes to see them off at the airport, and her message to Margaret. It's like, be nice to each other. Be good and kind to one another, is the, yep. is the quote. Mm-hmm. This ticks Margaret off. <laughs> I've got another thing to say about the tarmac. Okay. Okay. Well. <laughs> okay. So I, I, I could be wrong here. There, there wasn't an establishing text here, but I think this is the first time we've seen a character take off from what I assume is Heathrow Airport, whereas all prior tarmac scenes up until now had been at london airport which predated heathrow oh interesting wow. uh what clued you into that uh it, it like the the entire like uh kind of tarmac area just like seemed like a grander scale than before oh. and i feel like they they deliberately weren't showing us the airport because they probably didn't actually shoot at heathrow and couldn't actually get that as an establishing shot mm-hmm. but instead we saw like they were basically like at the edge of like the uh, you know, tarmac area where there was a fence with like grassy fields out beyond that, which is different from the airport scenes in the show's past. We're really zeroing in on the, <laughs> the riveting details this here. This is important. So yes, I'm glad you told me that. I mean, this sets the stage, right? Because you would think that Margaret would probably be more upset about flying commercial, I guess, past Margaret, the Vanessa Kirby Margaret. This Margaret doesn't seem to be too upset about having to fly commercial. Again, she must know about those crash statistics. Yeah, it's all the crash statistics. Also, wasn't this like during the golden age of like air travel? Like this like was probably like a Pan Am flight, like that, you know, first class looked massive. The yeah. service was probably great. It was probably a very comfortable journey. And they did have first class all to themselves. They okay. did clear out first class. I'm telling you, it was the equivalent of having a private plane in like a part of a commercial plane. <laughs> There was probably yeah, I, a I'm shower. I'm not disagreeing with you. It's like living in the penthouse at a fancy hotel. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I just think that'd be really nice. And they're never going to do it again for anyone. So we'll never get to experience it. Also on the plane, Margaret's thesis statement, uh, surmised by Tony, is that she is a natural number one whose tragedy it is to have been born number two. <laughs> She's not, like, totally wrong, but it's also, like, totally narcissistic. (laughs) (laughs) Margaret, you could just leave. (laughs) Go be a number one in Hollywood. All right. So, basically, uh, we meet the crown depiction of President Lyndon B. Johnson in this episode of The Crown. Ivan, you said earlier you would not go to dinner with Lyndon B. Johnson 
Uh, what about the crown version of Lyndon B. Johnson did not uh, rub you the right way? <laughs> well, uh, so uh, so I think part of it might have actually been like me being biased by by some details that aren't obviously true to life, namely the actor that they got to play him. So uh, LBJ <laughs> was played by Clan- Clancy Brown, who who's the opposite of like the Tommy Lassell's uh, actor in the sense that this guy really is a character actor. And he always shows up as like a, you know, somewhat of like a kind of larger than life, like, you know, alpha male kind of militaristic type. Uh, like I've seen him in a lot of roles where he just kind of throws his weight around. Um, and and I feel like that that gave me a negative impression of this LBJ just going into it. Are you thinking specifically of his appearance on Lost? <laughs> well, that that's one of them. Um, but no, I mean, the, the, he's been in like many other things where he he's basically playing this same character, except like now he gets to be president. I was kind of surprised by how much he seemed like a weird Southern alpha male caricature. Like I. Granted, I don't know that much about Lyndon B. Johnson, but like it just felt like he, not to make this too real, he felt like a Trump. And I was like, wait, we had one of those in the past? Like, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah I mean, I, mean, I think LBJ, I don't think anybody regards him as like one of the more favorable presidents, like regardless of like what their politics is. I guess I just thought he was more, or again, again, I don't know. Like, he would have had to have been more subdued. In some ways, like he felt very bombastic and maybe that is just for the show. I mean, like I feel like just... that's consistent with everything that I've heard about Lyndon B. Johnson, okay. because obviously like he and Kennedy, I feel like we're more of like a marriage of convenience, right? Where they could get two different aspects of the Democratic Party. That's but then you always... Democrat, that's so weird. Exactly. You always see Lyndon B. Johnson in the context of like the civil rights movement. And kind of mm-hmm. like his shortcomings there, so it's not necessarily surprising that we see him this way in the oh. crown. I, th- I think the last time I saw him on screen was like uh, a couple years ago. That uh, I think it was that Selma movie about yeah. MLK. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, you know, his, his he had a much different personality, but like his his move in that movie was basically just like, "Hey, uh, you know, Doctor King, can you simmer down a bit?" Okay, so it's more just his person. Yeah, it's the personality felt a little. Strange. I also don't watch enough civil rights movies. <laughs> um, this this version of LBJ, very insecure man. Yes. Uh, JFK looms large in the LBJ administration. And also, it's peak Vietnam, and he will not lose the Vietnam War. Not on his watch. <laughs> well, Is this peak Vietnam? I thought we're still in kind of like the earlier side I of the movie. I guess that's true. Wasn't that like 68? I guess, 69. yeah. It's going to intensify a it bit will more be, in the coming years. Peak I Vietnam think, yeah. will be during his administration. It but will I guess be during it's... this season of The Crown. <laughs> I guess that's true. Well, according to him, I think if you asked him, all Vietnam is peak Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, we're, we're really covering so much ground about the actual plot of this episode, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, okay, but perhaps his defining characteristic in the context of the crown is that he hates british people he, really he despises does. them <laughs> <laughs> they're so pretentious uh this is another aspect of his insecurity coming out he knows that they'll be too fancy for him and he's not helping them that is not what he wants to do <laughs> imagine doing but, your okay, diplomacy okay, that okay, way okay <laughs> okay in, in his defense <laughs> like like you know 
that trip to Balmoral like would ha- would have as he pointed out require him to just like learn a bunch of shit that his brain didn't really have like the storage for at the moment. Oh no, it'd be horrible, but it's still funny. <laughs> I mean, but at the same time like you get like Margaret going to dinner and she has like a full binder of things that she has to learn. It's like part of the job. <laughs> no, oh, oh Wait, no. Has- there's there's no <laughs> Margaret inherently already knows how to go to like a high society dinner event and, you know, what fork to use and all that nonsense. Like he would have to like basically like kind of move toward an upper echelon of conduct by going to the UK and being around the royals. I mean, again, I don't think anyone wants to go to Balmoral. I I don't know if any American has. Oh, Megan probably had to go to Balmoral. I bet she has had a bad time. Uh- <laughs> Like, I just don't think, I think Balmoral is actually really terrible if you're anyone who isn't, like, either the royals or they're really close friends. But, I mean, we saw JFK mess up, right? And it's not the end of the world if you do something that's not necessarily, like, tradition when you meet, I feel like there's a level of um, uh, forgiveness. Yeah. For the Americans when they come in to town. (sighs) Yeah, but at the same time, like, and again, like, I don't want to cut him too much slack but in his mind he's probably thinking like uh there's gonna be like a certain order like that i'll have to bow and like you know all this like stuff that just seems way too you know unnecessary and and ceremonious like i i don't have time for that and 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 i feel that because like i feel like that's one of the my biggest criticisms of like the royals like for not not even throughout the show but before uh, prior to this like through most of my life it's just like they've got this whole like high degree of like decorum and etiquette that just seems so over the top but i feel like for lbj right he's also in the power position and he must know it because the british need a thousand million pounds not one billion a thousand million pounds okay i hate that they did it that way what's that number It's a way of making it seem less than a billion. <laughs> oh, my God. And, I mean, if they could see our national deficit now, they would be shocked. <laughs> Imagine needing only a thousand million pounds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, as someone in the power position, who are the British really to, you know, judge his his uh, what he does and does not know about British high society? See, they would judge him in private. <laughs> he he would still have a lot to lose by going there kind of like untrained, unprepared, just kind of, you know, bumbling his way through, you know, a weekend where he's expected to do all these things that he doesn't want to learn how to do. And, and like if he just goes there and just behaves like a total doofus, that'll reflect <laughs> poorly on him and and perhaps even draw like, you know, unfavorable comparisons to like how much better the Kennedys handled themselves during their visit. True. But LBJ has one thing that JFK did not have, and that is a chief of staff who will follow him into the bathroom. (laughs) Wherever LBJ goes, his chief of staff is there. How did we feel about LBJ's chief of staff? I mean, if they're like that, (laughs) that sounds terrible. (laughs) I mean, maybe if he had just, I don't know if this guy was like just really on top of it because he like needed the answers to this British thing because like it was just a big deal or if he does that on the regular. That's the question. Yeah, that is a, that's a good question. He is very attentive though. He's, he's always on it. That was a very depressing looking men's restroom, even by (laughs) 1960s White House standards. All right. So Margaret arrives in uh, the United States and 
Margaret always shines when she's away from Queen Elizabeth and the royal palace and all of that, and she can just kind of do her own thing. So she lands, and uh, the newspapers love her, and they ask, what is the biggest difference between the United States and the United Kingdom? And the biggest difference is that her sister is not on the banknotes. Is that actually the biggest difference between these two countries? As far as she's concerned, yeah. <laughs> the, the biggest difference is here we say one billion. <laughs> We say it. We we don't stop at a billion. We go all the way to the trillion. <laughs> Make it bigger. This was a theme actually, because being on the banknotes was something that young Margaret said in the uh, like flashback scene at the beginning. So you know, this is all that she wants to do. And thinking back to Spencer, it's something that comes up again. What is it with being on the money? It's- I don't know, but it, it just side note, it's a tragedy that Diana was never on the banknotes. Anyway. Um, <sighs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, no. It, can you imagine, like, you're mad at your sister, kind of like always. This is why Margaret probably doesn't have any money. Like, she just doesn't carry around money because she doesn't want to see Elizabeth's face. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really a, it's a really sort of obvious symbolism that they kind of use throughout royal media and like i guess it's true do we just wait do we ever change bank notes i feel like it's always just old presidents uh maybe that's why I we mean, don't we have the, the coins we're getting right? harriet tubman, yeah, harriet aren't we? tubman. but like yeah. harriet tubman isn't alive like we don't use like alive people oh oh i see oh oh uh yeah i don't think we'd want to at this point <laughs> Yeah, it feels like a very specific like British problem when you would be replacing the money constantly with like a living monarch. Uh, I mean, depending on how how long that ro- that monarch is reigning, right? Yeah, it's like special collectible if you have like a really short lived king. <laughs> <laughs> and and, it, and if we did that here with like you know presidents and vice presidents, oh god, <laughs> like you, you you get you get the uh, the Dick Cheney five dollar bill, oh my goodness. limited edition. <laughs> All over eBay, sell it for like five hundred dollars. <laughs> All right, so um, we knew that this was going to happen based on um, watching the Queen's sister. Margaret and Tony are not getting along. Uh, we're seeing some friction in their marriage, despite the um, the positive reception that Margaret is getting from the American press. Tony gave the signal three times. Three times he gave the signal, and she ignored him, and he's not happy about it. Yeah, although can I just say, like, it seems like every single marriage that these, like, the royals have, there seems to always be the problem of, like, you don't pay enough attention to me. I feel second fiddle to you. Like, there's no winning. Yeah. There's really yeah, no yeah, winning. The, it, it definitely had that whole, like, uh, vibe of, uh, you know, when Philip used to complain and we're all just shouting at our screens saying, like, you signed up for this. Like, you knew what you were getting yourself into. I feel like Tony especially, because didn't, like, there was an implication when he was getting like going to the wedding with his mom where he's like it was very obvious he was kind of doing it for his mom so it's like was it worth it was it worth it to get your snowden lord snowden title at the beginning actually of the episode they make a big point of um the fact that it doesn't seem like birdie and queen mother elizabeth are going to have a son and that is what makes uh elizabeth the no longer heir assumpted but the heir apparent is that do we know if that's still a rule today Oh, uh, no, it's not. There's no longer they a They changed it when Charlotte was born. Oh, so very recently. Yeah. Well, I guess because they didn't have to deal with it with William and Harry, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, they did change it. 
Yeah, for sure. No, because that seems like another part of this where it's just like these like men throwing temper tantrums. Well, can you imagine yeah. having to be like, oh, we don't know. These kids are like 12 at this point. But like, what if they have a male heir, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, it does seem very antiquated. I'm shocked that it, you know. It took so long. It took so long. <laughs> yes. Tony says that uh, it's not easy being second fiddle to a pygmy princess. To which Margaret responds, I get so little limelight. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's funny. Like, pick me princess in terms of, like, her height or in terms of, like, her importance. Yeah. Because I think she was short. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the it does double duty. It does. But Margaret promises that once they get to New York, the spotlight is going to be entirely on Tony. I mean, as far as we see, it does seem like she's committed to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if it was up to her, they would go to New York and it would be all about Tony. So I don't know. Do we think, how sincere do we think she is about this? I mean, this is all, I guess, speculation, but when she gets to New York, is she actually being all about Tony or is it kind of like just another thing that adds up? No, I think she would be. I, yeah. I, I, I don't have any reason to doubt her. Yeah, I buy it. All right. So the queen has extended an invitation to Johnson and Johnson, as Carla mentioned, ghosts it. <laughs> just not not having the invitation to the shooting at Balmoral, but he has a counter proposal that is going to make Elizabeth livid. <laughs> and that is an invitation for uh, Margaret and Tony to dine with him at the White House on Wednesday. That's the day of the book launch. <laughs> wow. Could Lyndon Johnson have known? Is he sabotaging them? I, is you this- know... <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Tony is the real victim in this episode. <laughs> if I, well, this is also why I can't marry a princess, but like, can you imagine your, I can't this imagine. This is why? This is why. Because if my book launch got overshadowed by having to go meet Lyndon B. Johnson, it would be pretty awful. I'm surprised he even showed up. I'm just like, if he's also, like, if he knows that he's burning Elizabeth, and ruining Tony and Margaret's marriage, that's crazy. That chief of staff is just like next level thinking. He's just, you know, there's nothing else going on in America. Just like, how can I ruin the royals? That's so conniving. All right. So, well, I guess let's skip forward to the dinner, right? So Margaret, for a brief time, is sick in Arizona, but she gets better really quickly. Um, And then they get sent on a private plane I guess not a private plane, but like the United States government plane directly to the White House. And she's there for probably 10 minutes. And then she says that she thought that JFK (laughs) did not live up to her expectations. Yep. Wow. I hope she just would have said that anyway. And that like she didn't really know that Lyndon B. Johnson had a problem with JFK. I mean, I obviously I think she knows that. Like, I feel like... uh, she is kind of tapped into, you know, that kind of, like the gossipy socialite, you know, things that are going on and how people are feeling. So she is very attuned to that. Do I think she would have said it anyways? Probably. Yeah, <laughs> I, I respect that. 
worth uh, calling out that there's a delightful framing device in this part of the episode where uh, uh, like after uh, you know they arrive at the White House we cut to you know next morning in the UK Prime Minister uh, Wilson visits uh, the Queen and kind of gives her an, a, a recount of what happened although like I'm thinking like with the time difference between DC and London uh, he is like basically telling her about events that transpired just like mere hours earlier and might even still be in in progress because he's visiting her in the morning. And I think there's a reference to like them kind of partying into the late hours of the night. So Mm -hmm. he's getting this information fresh. Yeah. Um, So Liz had requested of Margaret to stick to the book, you know, keep it very formal. Don't do anything crazy. But of course, this is Princess Margaret. So we are going to get into a limerick contest. There was a young woman from Delaware who liked to make love. Liked to make love. Delaware, Delaware. In her underwear. <laughs> a terrible prude. She would never go nude, and her bum hips and tits she would never bear. Solid B plus, I think. B plus. <laughs> yeah, Delaware that's underwear. Generous. I guess that's eh, that's fine. I yeah. just <laughs> This is, I really like that Wilson has to say this out loud. He's he's become my favorite <laughs> prime minister. Just the good for you for saying these limericks out loud. I don't think any of the limericks uh, in this episode lived up to the one from the very first episode of The Crown, where Peter Townsend was like telling Bertie an inappropriate inappropriate limerick oh, yeah. to get him to calm down. Oh, that's a good one. Not I thought yet. the I mean I thought the last one was. Pretty clever. Yeah, I like the last one. So here's the last one. There was a young lady from Dallas who used a dynamite stick as a phallus. (laughs) They found her. You've made it this far. They found her vagina in North Carolina. And her arsehole in Buckingham Palace. (laughs) It's not bad. It's clever. I, I like that. Yeah. Ivan apparently has very high standards for his limerick. High standards for a limerick. <laughs> I agree. I think having uh, our new Prime Minister Wilson deliver these limericks is very fun. I just imagine him like coming in with like a notepad of like everything <laughs> that transpired over the previous evening, and it's like the full limericks yeah. like written down. Like, does he just remember these? He has to have them written down. Yeah, he probably has them written down. <laughs> yeah. That- I, I made mental note of that, too, like that he had these like burned into his brain, apparently. I mean, he was traumatized. Or was he like reciting them for like hours? And, he was and, and for the queen. meeting the queen like, I need yeah. to get the limerick right, <laughs> but I can't. It's so uncomfy. Like if this, were, if this were Boris, he would just be looking at his notes app. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. But I, there's something so funny about like the two. They might not actually be prudes, but like... The, two most prudish people you can think of in this show having yes. to read these limericks and process them together. Even though we got these limericks, though, I think the wildest line of the episode for me was Lyndon Johnson saying that Jack Kennedy would have beat his own mother just to take the skin off her ass to make a drum to beat his own praises. Yeah, that was that was a long <laughs> way of saying that. Quite clever. That was wild. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that... that... <laughs> That was good. Uh, I, I think like when when you think of like the version of Kennedy that we were introduced to within the crown last season where mm-hmm. he was kind of a jerk, like m- maybe I feel a little sympathetic toward toward LBJ's uh, disdain here. Oh, really? I think they're both terrible. Yeah, <laughs> neither of them are that great. Okay, so long story short, 
the evening is a success. Lyndon Johnson is going to give the United Kingdom a thousand million pounds, and they are no longer going to be in financial ruin. You know what? This is great news, but Liz is not happy because she has once again been outdone by her younger sister. And this is where she goes to her husband, Philip, who we finally see in this episode. It's probably, what, like 35 minutes into the episode? We're almost done with the episode. And Philip tells her that, you know, she's predictable, dependable, and reliable, and calls her a dazzling cabbage. Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) What a thing to say to your wife. At least they're not fighting anymore. I know. Uh, I loved that line. That was so fun. Margaret and Tony, do they go to New York? I'm very confused. Uh, did he have his book launch? He, like, <laughs> Does the book launch he, just I get mean, pushed he, today? Because <laughs> I don't think we really saw much fallout, uh, you know, f- from that. Like, it, I, I would imagine that he probably, like, understood why this needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And, and probably to some degree might have even been excited to meet the president of the United States. Like, I'm thinking... But yeah. yeah, I mean, th- I wonder if there's a deleted scene somewhere where this is they're, you know, butting heads about this whole thing. Hey, it is interesting that there isn't one. This was a short episode. This was another like 47 minute episode. There shouldn't be any deleted scenes. <laughs> they easily could have fit in something else. But yeah, we go straight from the White House uh, back to the United Kingdom. There's no more American trip for uh, Tony and Margaret. So unclear if that actually happened. But if it didn't, I imagine we'll hear about it. (laughs) It'll come back up in an argument. And who are they met, uh, or who is there to meet them on the tarmac, but Prime Minister Wilson, uh, Carlin's favorite prime minister, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there to thank them in person for their public service. And Liz is so salty. (laughs) She really was. (laughs) That Wilson met them on the tarmac to congratulate them on a job well done. I feel like Wilson is like now Elizabeth's little pet. Like, yeah. how dare you? Well, <laughs> yeah, but, but but Margaret just saved his career. Yeah. He's, I mean, not that, the country. The country would have been, what, a third, <laughs> in the third tier of economies? Yeah. It would have been terrible. All right, so Margaret goes to meet Liz afterwards. There's a really fun shot of Margaret in front of the window in the same, you know, kind of framing that she was in the flashback, um, mm-hmm. kind of like waiting to go into the room to see Elizabeth. So that was a fun then and now. They overdid it at the end, in my opinion. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> at the vanity. But, you know, in the moment, in that first moment, it was fun. And so Liz is like, you did a great job. Would you like the order of merit? Or would you like the Victorian chain? <laughs> <laughs> what are these but, things? What, I, Ivan, what is the preferred uh, reward? Is it the order of merit or the Victorian chain? Uh... <laughs> I mean, this is how little we know. Like, is the Victorian <laughs> chain something you wear? <laughs> I, I don't know what the Victorian chain is. But Margaret says, you can keep your gongs and your bongs for the men <laughs> to whom it matters so much. Margaret really just wants to have more responsibility. She wants to share in the duties, and this is all she's ever wanted for her entire life. So the Victorian chain is something you smoke out of. Yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> And Liz, of course, can't give this to her. She needs to consult people first. Uh, because if there's one thing we know about Elizabeth, she's not going to give you something uh, <laughs> that you want. <laughs> uh, to put it I lightly. mean, at least she only talks to Philip, not like Philip and 10 staff. 
That's true. So we talked to Philip. Philip, big presence in the last 15% of the episode. And Philip, is this a throwback Thursday to that uh, chat, the drunken chat that he had with Tommy and the Queen Mother? Is that what we think this is? Oh, man. Yeah. 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 That's exactly it. I once got drunk with Tommy Lassels. And we wow. saw this. <laughs> That's amazing. He learned some insightful things during that. And it just stuck with him. Okay, but but let me let me say something real quick. Okay, so we're we're convinced here that, you know, Philip talked Elizabeth out of going down this, you know, path of giving uh Margaret shared responsibilities. Like, I don't buy that. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe in the moment he persuaded her. But even if he hadn't, you know, the next step would have been for Elizabeth to discuss this with, you know, Michael Adine, who would have like promptly shot it down. And then maybe Elizabeth would have been like, you know, whatever, like I, I'm going against your guidance here. And then inevitably, Tommy Lassels would have showed up and told her why this would completely <laughs> undermine the entire institution of the crown. And, and then we'd be right back to the same end result. Mm hmm. What I think is weird, this Philip feels closer to the Queen Sister Philip that we saw to me than to Matt Smith Philip. Well, he, I mean, he certainly overlaps more with like the age and like the kind of timeline of, of that movie. I feel like Matt Smith Philip could have been like, yeah, sure, like give Margaret a little bit of this, like maybe something that you don't necessarily need. But like in a modern age, like Margaret does represent something of you know, modern society. And there is value to that. But this Philip, like the Tobias Menzies Philip is like hard pass. No, <laughs> uh, this is how he's evolved. Well, I, th I, yeah. think, I think Phil, yeah, Philip has, uh, you know, fully like embraced the job at this point, like, uh, and, and perhaps even overcorrected himself a little bit from some of his past antics where no longer is he, uh, you know, kind of poking holes at the, at the logic of what the crown needs to do. Uh, but now he himself is reinforcing it and trying to kind of protect the institution in the same way that like Lassels or a Dean might. All right. But the, the tidbit he got from Tommy Lassels was that it seems like the Royals come in pairs. There's the boring person and the wild fun, but dangerous person. And this has been a theme kind of throughout the Windsor family. And it is uh, once again, showing itself in the clash between Liz and Margaret. Uh, he explained this using a medieval, a creature with two heads rather than just two eagles. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't really know why the medieval creature was necessary, but I mean, there is a little he, bit of a pattern. He couldn't, he couldn't have just referenced Goofus and Gallant. <laughs> but I guess I do see like there is a little of a, a bit of a pattern if you look at it that way, for sure. Yeah, I mean, show really missed an opportunity to show like B-roll of all of these like famous pairs and then maybe at the very end show William and Harry. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. But the thing is, I feel like Charles, none of his siblings were his um his wild one. He's got a wife that way. Um Right? Cuz Anne and Edward Wait, did you say Anne? Charles? Yes, I, I think oh, Charles has oh, one I, I brother. Think he has one <laughs> no, he has them, but they're all boring. No, my point is he has a bunch of boring siblings. Uh, Charles, Char no. Well, it, boring in the wrong way. <laughs> we have one no. unboring one in a terrible way, but no one was fun. 
Name one fun Charles sibling. No, it's not necessarily fun. It's more like the danger. I, I mean, maybe it's more, fun yeah, and it's dangerous. more like the, yeah. <laughs> it's fun and dangerous. It, it, more emphasis on dangerous, I think. Yeah, no, that definitely holds up through the Charles generation. Again, there was no one fun. <laughs> um, and then I think last thing is that so Liz is talked down by Philip, and then they go outside in slow motion. Margaret is hopeful, and she sees Elizabeth's face. And I think she immediately knows that it's not going to happen for her. Yeah, at least for now. She'll bring it up again a couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> it'll come back up. And then we get back to the original time, or not the original, the 1943 timeline. Interestingly, it's Margaret who goes to propose, you know, her becoming queen to Tommy Lassels. Liz waits outside. Yeah. Which is hilarious. And Tommy is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was so aggressively like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Accept your position in life and forget this. <laughs> like, uh, there, there's a way to, like, like explain that to her calmly and warmly yeah. and have her understand without feeling like she's been reprimanded. Yeah. Fuck that guy. No, this is when Margaret started <laughs> hating Tommy Lassels. You just know it. Oh, my God. This would God. be, like, her moment in therapy. Like, it all started with Tommy Lassels. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that's Margaretologies. I think a lot of fun things to talk about in this episode. And I think uh, they're definitely setting up some stuff for the future, which I'm excited about as well. Anything we missed here? No, I think we got it all. Yeah, yeah we really were tarmac. Thorough. Yeah, do we have any other tarmac thoughts? <laughs> uh, no, not right now. Okay. Well, if you, Carlin, if you pull up any other statistics about private airlines or private, <laughs> private travel. You know it. Feel free to share them here. Uh, keep the people safe. Let's talk about some kinky moments because there were there were a few. Carlin, where where are we Wait, going? Can here? I go first? Oh, yeah, sure. yes, Ivan. Because because I only have like one to throw in, and and okay. it's probably going to be a really obvious one. But but I'm going to say it's uh, the uh, you know LBJ's like right hand man's devotion to him. I yes yeah for sure that is a great nomination. Yeah, he's there to make sure that LBJ uh, gets out of any pickles. <laughs> yep. Right. And he's gonna follow him into the bathroom. Was there one scene where like LBJ was urinating and then he started to turn and then the yes. staff was like, Yes. No. <laughs> yes. Yes, that absolutely happened. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe this is the crown. <laughs> this is the crown. LBJ edition. Yep. <laughs> All right, Carlin, what do you have anything else? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure at some point we'll talk about the limericks. I guess I would say there's one line where Lyndon B. Johnson was like, you can't screw a man in the ass and buy him flowers. Like, it was something like that, right? Yeah. There was a line like that. And they were talking about America and England. Yes. I don't know what that was referring to. Um, I think it was just kind of like the history of the special relationship. Okay. I don't, again, I don't know what we what the England did wrong last <laughs> time, but yep, that. All right. That is a good one. So I have the, there's a, it seems like Margaret's doing a bathtub photo shoot. Oh, yeah. Um, which I think was the cover photo of this season of The Crown for a while, if you went and looked at it on Netflix. <laughs> oh, they, they were trying to sell the sex. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Wait, wait. Now, hold on a second. I, I don't recall seeing this, but I know yeah. for a fact that Netflix changes the thumbnail photos based on what it thinks the user is going to like. So, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now we just see what it is. Hold on. I can't I can't explain this. Oh, I'm not gonna explain it. <laughs> so we'll never know I can't what say mine that, is. Well, I can't say that it is currently. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I feel like well, 
I feel like this was like back when, right? Like now I feel like if you went and looked, it would probably be like Princess Diana. Yeah. The, 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 they do also like base it on like, you know, recency as well. But like it, th this is an actual thing where like certain movies and certain shows will have, you know, just completely disparate thumbnails based on the viewing history of the user and what Netflix think is going to appeal to them. Like, for instance, like, do you, you know that uh, that Jessica Chastain poker movie, Molly's Game? Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Do, do you know what the thumbnail for that movie is for me? No, what? Just a still of Michael Sarah in that movie. <laughs> what? Uh, I don't even... Is he in that? Is he just in the poker scene? I, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie, but <laughs> Netflix is convinced that that's what it's going to take to get me to watch it. Yeah, I just pulled up the thumbnail now, and it's Diana and Charles. Yeah, I feel like that's just, like, updated. Otherwise, it, it appears to be a, a crowd... Um, of people outside Buckingham Palace. Yeah, I think this is the trailer. Um, right now, I want to look at Molly's Game. Is Molly's Game on Netflix right now? Probably. Couldn't tell you. No. It is not anymore. No. Oh. But I am getting several Jessica Chastain <laughs> movies pushed to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then the Queen's Anya Gambit. Taylor Joy as a fellow redhead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the Queen's Gambit. Oh, wait, so King and Crown Awards. <laughs> yes, there was one line. Where um, Margaret is at dinner with LBJ, and she says, um, I'm the vice queen, but I don't mean I'm a vice queen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. That was That's a good, good line. One. And then the Victorian chain. There's a 75% chance the Victorian chain is kinky. Yeah. Wait, what? Based off what? It it's sounds a chain. like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're really reaching here. Well, we have a lot of good options. We had some good options. Are we missing any? Carl, you have any others? Well, did Margaret kiss LG LBJ at some point? Ah, uh, she did. She yeah. did. She gave him a peck on the lips. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Ivan, where are you going with this one? Uh, I'm going to go with Vice Queen. Vice Queen. Carl, what about you? I, I like Vice Queen. I d as much as I do like the Chief of Staff, I will uh, pile on the Vice Queen nice. <laughs> train as well. Good we job, Three Margaret. for three on the Vice Queen. All right, cool. So that was season three, episode two of The Crown, Margaretology. It's crazy how we go from Margaretologist to stands. <laughs> yeah. I wonder uh, if there are still Margaret stands. I hope there are. Margaretologist. But yeah. the next episode of The Crown, season three, episode three, is called Aberfan? Following a tragic accident at a Welsh mining village that quickly becomes political, both Elizabeth and Wilson struggle with their responses. So, Carlin, your PM is just one crisis after another. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sorry to him. So we'll be back next time to talk about Season 3, Episode 3 of The Crown. Um, in the meantime, Ivan, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they do that? Uh, they can't, but I mean, they can find me uh, in a cleared out first class cabin of Delta <laughs> Airlines flights between <laughs> Seattle and Amsterdam. <laughs> Carlin, what about you? Um, I am on Twitter at Carlin Greenwald and I am on Instagram at Carlin underscore GEE. All right. And I am on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung. The best place to reach us, though, if you have any questions about the podcast or, you know, any... Uh, any thoughts about the royal family in general is on Twitter at Crown or, Around or, or feedback for us. We're, we're ready for some feedback. Ivan's ready for some feedback. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, hit us up with the feedback. 
Uh, in the meantime, thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. And God save the queen. The, the vice queen. God save the vice queen. Yes, the vice queen. God save. <laughs>